Okay, open your Bible to Genesis and close your mouth. <laughs> when, I, when I preach, I'd rather do the talking. And uh, that's when we give you plenty of time to fellowship. And some of you fellowship after church, and um, I'm glad of that. When you see a church five minutes after it's over, everybody's gone. You know there's something wrong with that, in that church. But when you see one where they hang around the parking lot and it's raining and everything else, you know something good's going on. So we're, I'm thankful for our people who like to fellowship and don't mind uh, getting home late to do it and don't mind getting wet to do it. It's a blessing. I want to remind you now, next week is high, uh, this coming Sunday. is going to be High Attendance Day. Brother Mike Holcomb is going to be with us. We're asking God to touch him. And my prayer for Brother Mike is this, that he'll preach uh, above himself. Remember when I talked about that? That he'll preach beyond himself. And um, I, I, even if he don't even know, we're praying for him, and I'm sure, I'm sure he does. Because um, I've told him, I'm sure his family's told him, but um, I just pray that he'll preach beyond himself. And because um, none of us preachers knows that, we know, we got sense enough to know we can't do anything with people. Anybody can manipulate people. It takes the Holy Ghost to convict people. And so I just pray you'll use him. It would be a great, great day. And I will be teaching a class here in the worship center. You can sit anywhere you want to. Don't bother me. You don't have to sit within 20 feet of somebody if you don't want to. Because we won't have a large crowd. But uh, you won't have to talk. You won't have to answer any questions. You won't have to read out of any book. You won't have to do anything. You just come and sit and listen. In about five after ten, as other people are starting to come in, I'll dismiss you and get ready um, for the morning service. But if you don't have a Sunday school class um, or uh, you've been thinking about, I need to start the Sunday school, I, I haven't been, and this would be a good time for you to start it. Start it where there's no pressure and then you can move into one of the smaller classes to where we have great teachers there, and uh, you'll be blessed. So be sure and pray for that day as well. I enjoy doing that every, every time we have a, a one-day revival. Um, it's usually between 60 and 80 people, and I just enjoy it because I basically just kind of preach, so I have a good time. And um, I want you to be a part of it. Genesis chapter number 14. This is going to be our text tonight. These, this is a, actually, this is a message that I'd like, if I, had, if, if I had the time and had the ability tonight, I would like to take you somehow in a blown-up way to Israel, the country of Israel, and show you some, some of these places. But the very same thing we're talking about tonight is what we're hearing about tonight on the news. Very same places. And we've been hearing about it for quite some time. It seems like Cataloma had the Syrian area and over into parts of Iraq. And so that's where Cataloma, who was the chief king of all these five kings and then others were scattered around and maybe in Lebanon some and then some down in the Golan Heights and, and so these five little kings and Ketelomar having the greatest area at least 
and they, they were fighting a battle and they're still fighting battles today. And, and their, their hatred is aimed against who? Israel. There's Israel. A land of milk and honey. The promised land, we call it. And it was. And to be honest, some of them had a false claim. It wasn't their land. They were claim jumpers. Uh, they were homesteaders. They shouldn't have been there. God's people should. So you listen tonight, and I'll try to every now and then to kind of tell you where some of these places are. Um, and, and we're going to kind of, um, I guess let's start tonight in verse number 13. And um, I didn't get too far last week on, uh, in, in chapter four, 14. Let's start in verse 13. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eschol and brother of Aner, and these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. It's very important because Dan, when you hear in the Bible, what do we, how do we claim it? From Dan to Beersheba. Remember that? You ever heard that? That's how the Holy Land is, is described from Dan to Beersheba. Beersheba, or as they pronounce it, Beersheba, is down to the south. Dan is up in the north. And so Dan was a little old city that left everybody alone. But God's people was a bunch of chicken, uh, chickens. They were the Danites. Uh, they became the Danites. And they were the uh, tribe of Dan. And so they, they were scared of the Philistines. And they wouldn't take the land that the Philistines owned, which was down near the Gaza Strip. You ever heard of that place? Okay. They're scared to fight, fight the Philistines. And we still got problems with the very same people in the very same places. So they took a crowd and they moved up to Dan. Here's a little old bitty city. And they conquered that city and brought their people up there in the north. It's beautiful up there in the Golden Heights. And they built this, their city. And that's where the Danites, or most of them, stayed. So Dan is in the Golan Heights. It's about 20 miles from the Sea of Galilee, if you were going straight toward it. And so it is a, uh, that, that's kind of the explanation of how far that these people were willing to come. Can I tell you tonight that ISIS is not willing to take five miles. They want 500 miles. You hear me tonight? When you've got somebody who wants everybody in the world to believe like they believe and to be under the same law they're under and hates democracy and freedom and peace, it won't stop unless you stop them. Just remember that tonight as, and you'll see it as I go along. So uh, this, this chapter, as I told you last week, records the first battle in the Bible. Since then, there has been many, many battles and we talked about in verses 1 through 11, the aggression of war. 
we, we gave you the coalitions. The four kings got together, and they were the five, so four kings against five kings. We talked about the coalitions there, both of them. And, and then we talked about the conflict. It seems that Ketelomar was the chief dude and had more land and people looked up to him and had a better fighting machine. And so Ketelomar was just taking everybody he wanted to take around him. That's why he had so much land. He'd just get that little colony and that little colony, that little community, and he would take them all for himself. And so he he allies with these others, these other nations, and they just started mowing people down, mowing, mowing them down one by one. And the Bible says they met in Sedim. It was full of, that, that place is full of slime pits or tar pits. It's right below, right, right on the side of below the Dead Sea. And there was slime pits and tar pits there. They came, I believe, from the saturated land or saturated beyond what man could see under the earth, pools and reservoirs of oil that God had placed there for his people to use in days to come. But because of their Baal worship and their idolatry and their disobedience and their sinful life, God blowed up Sodom and Gomorrah and now, now I don't believe it, Believe it for a second, but everyone there will tell you they have no oil. But I know Israel, and they have some oil somewhere. They are not going to be left stranded. They're charged now uh, like a rapist uh, on their uh, gas prices and anything else that they think that Israel's going to have to buy. The economy there is very, very... um, uh, much, much more higher than ours if you uh, look at uh, housing is almost impossible and unaffordable. And so these slime pits, uh, I told you, could be very useful in war. Now, when we had the Persian Gulf War, you remember that? Remember, how many remember the Persian Gulf War? I mean, it's old enough, okay? All right. The, the Persian Gulf War um, invoked the very same peoples I'm reading to you tonight. They just had different names. Very same people. Very same people. Very same places. They come now to the north. They're fighting in Syria. And they're also fight. They now have pretty much own Iraq. And so they're just taking everything they can. They intend to take it all. Now, Israel's going to put up a pretty good fight, but when you got 20 or 30, 40, 50 nations in the world, the Muslim, and they're all against you, and you got Muslims all around you, and you're not much bigger than Middle Tennessee, it don't look too like a shining star, okay? But I'm going to show you tonight how God can take a little thing and do a big thing with it. Okay, so follow with me as we go. Let's look at the collapse. The five kings thought they could stop this war machine from coming down, and uh, but the, there in the slime pits, there was a valley. There is a mountain range that runs 
uh, up to the north, right down the Jordan Valley, goes down through Samaria and on into uh, Jerusalem. But it's a, a rugged, uh, rough trail. So there's a mountain range. It runs all the way. How many of you ever heard of Masada? Masada, uh, that was the last stand by, by the Jews in AD 70. And they built a ramp up this mountain. The Romans did. It's an amazing story if you hadn't read it. And they captured, they, they, they had, it was just a just a 60 or 70 or 100, I can't remember how many it was, was up there. They were the last group. They'd killed everybody else. They'd burned the city. Took uh, One stone was not left upon another. And so they get there and they couldn't get in. They had water up there because they had big cisterns up there. Had food up there because you know who's t- who, who owned that up there? Herod did. But that was just one of his places. So Herod didn't have to be home and nobody else was home. So they just go in, take it over, shut the gate. And they were impregnable because they set up on a top of a mountain that just goes like that. And they could see for miles. And so it was a great fortress area. And whether they ever utilized that or not, we're not told. But uh, the people of Sodom, Sod- Sodom basically had hardly probably heard of Abraham, maybe, and they kind of knew that he was of a different kind of religion. And so um, the people of Sodom, knowing that, decided they'd come to him. And that's the way we do. When we get in spiritual trouble, we go to somebody we know is spiritual. Right? In other words, when we've exhausted every other resource, who do we go to? Jesus. Jesus didn't mean for that. Jesus meant for us to start in him, live in him, love him, worship him, and be with him all our life. The Bible says this, Christ who is our life. But some of us took the wrong turns, didn't we? And like I said Sunday night, we needed a second chance and thank God he did. But as a result of this, verse 12 says, Lot was captured because he was living in Sodom. Their little uh, coalition they put together was no match for Cataloma and his bunch. And so they, uh, they fought down at the bottom, uh, right as a little valley down. And I, and I got to look and I couldn't figure it out. Uh, and, and finally, I figured it out. The reason that there was a valley there and there were people down there is because there was a really small river that run right below the Dead Sea of fresh water. So it would be an excellent place for people to farm in that day. Now it's completely desert, nothing but just a salt flat until you get on so far, and then it's nothing but desert and and dunes, okay? That's it. And so they had come all the way from the north, remember? All the way from the north, all the way to the south to take Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, why did they do that? God told them to. You say, that in the Bible. No, it's not. But the Bible says that the devils works through the kings. It teaches us that evil kings are evil because the evil one is in them. Catalomar said, we're going to reach out further. We're going south. We're going to see what we can conquer. We're going to get some of that milk and honey land. And so... He gets his little group together, goes down there, had absolutely not any trouble fighting that in the filthiest place in the world, vulgarest place in the world. And here was Lot. 
among one of the soldiers fighting side by side with the lowest people in the world. Right beside him was sodomites. All around him was sodomites. When Clinton signed, removed the ban on um, sodomites in the military, once again, our brethren has to be fighting beside sodomites. Do you know that cannot make a believer feel real good when they're in Iraq or when they're in Syria or wherever they may be in this world and they're fighting and they know beside of them is an open sodomite? They can't feel comfortable. You say, well, God can forgive? Yes, he can. But when he forgives you, you change. I mean, I was, a, I was a drunk, but I'm not a drunk no more. Even though I got a report back from Mayo Clinic the other day that said I had drank for 44 years and been an AA, Alcoholic Anonymous, for 33 years. I said, I missed something somewhere. So I wrote them a letter and I said, I'm telling you, I did drink for 13, 14, 15 years. I don't know what it was uh, since I was about... 12 or 13, I did drink. Yes, I drank some. But listen, I told them I didn't go to Alcoholic Anonymous. I went to one source, and his name was Jesus. They sent me that letter back and put a form on it. So I got now sent another form in to get my record. Since I'm not an alcoholic anymore, they got to go back and refigure everything. But anyway, you know, and I'm going to tell you something. Bad, Pastor in Baptist Church will make you think about becoming one. <laughs> it will. I mean, there's some Monday mornings. I'm saying, bring me a six-pack. Make that a case. But, <laughs> so he gets, uh, he gets caught up in, with this debauchery of, of military loss that led them to defeat. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you have time, look over to Ezekiel. Verse 16, if you don't, just let me read it to you if you don't have time to get there. But look what Ezekiel 16, uh, verse 48. Look at Ezekiel 16, verse 48. Are you there yet? Okay, look what it says. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. He's talking about Israel or Jerusalem here, okay? The sin of your sister Sodom, here's what it was. Pride was one of them. Fullness of bread. In other words, they were spoiled. An abundance of idleness, says lazy, in her and her daughters, and neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And look at what's verse 50. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. So who sent Ketalomar? God did. Look at verse 56. For thy sister Sodom was not mentioned by my, thy, my mouth in the day of thy pride. In other words, nobody there prayed to me. And so he's talking here as to something we better take very careful. Those sins right there led to a, um, a society of sodomy. And as a result, it led to destruction. When we become so open today with our sodomy, not even ashamed, don't even bother us, 
when we become so open, the very next step is that God gives us up to do that which is not convenient or not worthy. Not, it's just useless. So there comes a point to where God will put you in that same place that the Sodomites was in. Ultimately, judgment is coming your way. Let's look at this story. Look at the action of the war. The aggression demands action. When there's aggression toward you to capture you, it demands some action, doesn't it? You don't just sit there like a bunch of dummies and say, Ketalomar's going to come down here and he's going to kill our women, steal our children, and, 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 I mean, and, and destroy our city and take our goods. So we'll just sit here and watch him do it. You don't do that. You start, you start taking some action toward war. Because it's inevitable. You have to fight. So Abraham heard of the capture that had happened to his nephew, and he took action. Verse 14 said he took the action of battle. Do you see it? He took an action of battle. When Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, and that means his brother's son, the way it was translated. You'd think that was Abram's brother. His brother was taken captive. He armed his trained servants, born in his house. In other words, his household, all of his household, his sons who had sons and daughters and, and, and their sons who had sons and daughters. So it, it, it's, it's in all their household. He arms them. In other words, they believed that they could have a gun. And it wasn't a sin, and he didn't break the law. He armed. He said, well, they didn't have guns back in that time. No, but they had some other stuff to mess you up. Okay? And so he armed them, taught them how to use their arms. And even though he had, was not a, a, a military man, God had given him wisdom enough to do this. And you know how many it was? 318. <laughs> 318. This is about probably 200 here tonight. Maybe a little more. But you, you imagine just 318. That would be about three sections or two sections of our worship center. And here they're going against four nations. One of them, the most aggressive, brutal killers and torturers in the world with 318. And look where they take off from. Now, they're down in the south below the Dead Sea. They go all the way up the Jordan Valley through the Goatland Heights into the place called Dan before Dan ever got there, okay? There was a city there, but they turned it, burned it down and built their own city, and they went up there and had their city, and right below it, there is a gate to the city that has been discovered. Listen, been discovered, and it is, it's marked out as the gate unto Dan. It's built now it's had dirt around. They won't move anything because they want anything to change because it's the first, first gate that they have found intact in the Holy Land. It goes all the way back to right here. Look, look what it said. Where'd he go? He went to Dan. He pursued them unto Dan all the way north. And sometime he went through that gate. I stood and looked at it before. They won't let you get up close to it because it's such a, 
um, remarkable find today. But, but you can see the, the stone that holds the gate together. You can see the frame uh, of, of, of the gate. And so it was a beautiful find. And people says, no, Abraham never was up there. Well, yes, he was. He was up there one time, I know. The liberals say, uh, that don't make any sense. But the Bible says he was up there at least one time. So Abraham has said uh, he's going to serve Lot, right? Abraham despised Sodom and his sin, but he still loved Lot and his family. Now, I'm going to tell you, tell you something there's some of you sitting here tonight and you defend your family although you know your family's wrong you know why you despise what they're doing but you love who they are but you got to separate that you can't raise your kids and say listen Tommy I love you I love you and it's going to hurt me worse than hurts you you know that oh I never figured that one out but anyway he's going to hurt you it's going to hurt me. And they disciplined them because God taught them how to do it. And that's what happens. And so Lot had got into so much debauchery and in such a sinful city that even though he hated Sodom, he loved Lot and his family. You say, it's like us. You say, why would you fool with those people? They're no good. They've never been any good. Been thieves all their life. Been cheaters all their life. Been drunks all their life. Been addicts all their life. And they've been gamblers all their life. Why would you fool with those people? I'll tell you why. Because we hate what they do, but we love who they are. Y'all say it amen louder than that. Because we need, to we need to put a difference between that two. And we ought not to allow what we hate to interfere with who we love. And that's what Abraham did. He did not allow what he hated to interfere with who he loved. So he takes action, goes to war. And these five kings, um, of course, has no... Uh, they can't stop them, and we owe it uh, to our brothers, I think, to go after them because if you go back here in the Scripture, look at verse 16, and he brought back all the goods, and Lot brought again his brother Lot. We owe it to our brothers when they get away from God, when they step out of the will of God, when they go to Sodom and start dabbling in all the sodomy and all the pride and all the debauchery and all the immorality and, and, and all the greed and all that stuff that's going on in Sodom. And when you see them step away from God, we don't give up on them. We hate what they're doing, but we love them. And that's what happens here. Abraham hated Sodom. For what they done. But he loved them for who they are. So it doesn't matter to me what anybody's done. I believe God can save them. There's only one way you can't get saved. And that is unless you do not repent and receive Christ. Before you breathe your last breath. Well I don't believe in deathbed repentance. You would if you was laid on your deathbed lost. Now some of you don't win. They're so hard you can't win. Because God's given them over to a reprobate mind. And so, as a result, they can't eat. They can't be saved. But I can't tell you how many. It's the hundreds, I guess, that I've led to Christ when they knew they were terminal. 
That's the best time. Listen, for one time in their life, you've got them in a position where they've only got a few more days and they see everything that they've played with in Sodom is about to be taken away from them and all they have left is Jesus. And you can tell them that, and I have. And many has gotten saved. I tell you, I have had people in comas when I just give them the plan of salvation while they're in a coma because they tell me that sometimes people in comas can hear what you say. And so I always give the plan of salvation while they're in a coma. And I have people say, well, you know, they probably can't hear you. And I have had them pop out of that coma and set up and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life and forgive me and save me and fall back down into a coma again. That's the truth. I saw that. I used to say, well, you don't never tell the truth anyway. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and you, I'll tell you something. If, you, if, if you're around me, there's one thing I hate, and that's a liar. I can't stand lying. That's a sin I hate, lying. Don't lie. It is a horrible sin to lie. You know what lying does? It kills trust. And so here, he took up arms for action, and he trained them in arms for action. Abraham knew this day might come, so he was ready. And so, by, by the way, uh, two verses that you might want to stick with what we're doing here is Ezekiel 33, 6, and Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. That, those are verses that will help you to say, I'm not going to get involved. You better get involved. If not, God says the blood's on your hands. In other places, he said the blood's on your head. So, listen, we are a brother's keeper. We are. I've been sitting off at my desk what little time I've got to do it this week, and I have been recalling backsliders, recalling backsliders, recalling backsliders. For 25 years, I've gone back recalling backsliders. Why don't you help me with that? I can't remember them all, especially now. Why don't you help me with that? You know someone's backslid, don't you? You could get them to come Sunday because they like you. They don't have to like me to come. You see, they'll slam the door in my face, but they'll come if you ask them. They say, well, well, well if you don't like his preaching, come, we got great Sunday school teachers. That's what they say. They always say, we love our church because Travis is such a good Sunday school teacher. God help us, we got a preacher here. But I don't care. It's not, we don't do it for our glory. No, that's not the, the mess. Anything that's good has to come from God because everything that's in us is flesh and natural and bad. So we can't take the credit for anything. And Abraham had sense enough to know that. And here is a direct picture of a carnal Christian. Let me give them to you. I got five. I don't think they're on your notes tonight. But I want to give you in verse 14, look at it. Chapter 14, verse 14. I, uh, we'll start right there. And I want to give you five things. I'm going to do it real quick. That Abram's uh, army, we're talking about Abram's army now in verse 14. And it's a kind of a picture of a carnal Christian saved so as by fire. You remember 1 Corinthians 3 when we had our judgment series? And, and there were people that we saved so in fire. In other words, they just barely get in. Okay. Number one, he was born in his own house. 1 John 5, 4. 
Our first birth is the children of Abraham. That makes us a loser. But our second birth is children of God, and that makes us a victor. Second thing, they were armed. We are to always be armed and ready for battle. Oh, you say, what do you mean? I mean spiritually armed. We ought to have our armor on, and we ought to have the only two weapons that we have. That's prayer and the Word of God. And we ought to be trained to handle when temptation comes to us or when temptation comes to others. And I'll talk about that later on. But he had them armed in armor, but he had them armed with artillery. And a verse that, you, well, some verses there that will help you is Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 18, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5. Third thing, they were trained. In other words, they were equipped in the word. The better you know your Bible, the better equipped you are to battle the devil. Now, they were talking about a literal battle, but we have a spiritual battle every day. And the better you know the Bible, the better you are to stand against the evil one. So, four, they solely believed in their leader, Abraham. Man, they believed in him. They knew he was God's man. And so, if you're going to be a strong Christian, you have to follow the captain of your salvation with unwavering loyalty. Who is he? The Lord Jesus Christ. Number five, they were united. 318 were united in love and in purpose and in cause. And so they went to fight. Y'all got about, what, uh, 25 tails? Is that what y'all got? <laughs> just checking. Just check so, Abraham, knowing this day is going to come, he's already ready for it. He, he knew it was coming. So, he trains his people that he has, just 318. He trains them, and he arms them. Some of them probably was young boys, 12, 13, 14 years old. He arms them, and he trains them. And so, they are constantly ready. And then verse 15, he takes up arms for action. He had 318 personnel. He had a plan. That plan was the element of surprise. And it would do American well to learn that. The element of surprise. We've had these numbskulls get up and tell our enemy what we were about to do. Knowing it would take us four to eight days or maybe two weeks to get it rounded up and everything there. And they had plenty of time to move all their weapons, hide all their nuclear warheads, all that stuff. Folks, listen to me. When they dug that, that rat of a man out of that hole, you can't tell me there wasn't some arms in that place. But George W. Bush got on television and told the world what we was going to do. Not George W., but the other. But so, you don't tell your enemy what you're about to do. The greatest tool you have on your toolkit for spiritual battle is the element of surprise. You go after them. 
when all of a sudden, here's a guy here working, nothing's, nothing's, uh, he's not thinking about God. He's not got, got anywhere in his mind. Maybe he's in the shop or maybe he's sitting in his living room or maybe he's working on his computer and all of a sudden you knock on his door, said, man, I hadn't seen you in a while. I'd like to sit down and talk to you and you start talking to him about the Lord. He wasn't expecting you. He didn't know you was coming and all of a sudden the Holy Ghost sits down there. And you accomplished something because you went in God's will where God wanted you to go and the power of God came down. Amen? I've seen it happen too many times. I know, it, I know he will. And so there was the pursuit. He fought back to finish it. He went for the juggler. Swift, sensible, and successful in verse number 15. Look, he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night and smote them. But he didn't quit with that. They started running like a bunch of scared kids, and they pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. So they don't go back to exactly where they come from. They go straight up into what now is, is a, a, a Damascus area. You see it everywhere. They head that way, and they get them on the run. Now, remember, Lot's way down yonder in the south. That's where his camp is, and he runs them plumb out of the country with 318 people with the element of surprise. America has let our enemy probably not only publicly by the media, but privately by the scumbags who have leaked information all over our world for years. Can I tell you something else we haven't done? Since World War II, we've never finished a battle. We could have won Vietnam, but we didn't. We could have won Korea, but we didn't. You know why? Politicians said, back off. He said, they'd cut a deal. We could have won the Persian Gulf War. In fact, in just two days, we just about had them gone. If we'd have just kept going, Iraq would still be Iraq. And if ISIS was going to be ISIS, they'd have to live in Iran or they'd have to go north, go to Russia. Which I bless we'd put them in Siberia. That's where they deserve to be. And so I'm telling you, folks, don't think that our Bible's not relevant. Same people at the same places as where our wars are going on today. And where our men have been brutalized and killed and maimed and hurt and mentally and emotionally struggled. But 318 people can do a whole lot when they're walking in the will of God. That's all I'm saying. We're big enough, surely, to get 318 people that will walk more on their knees than they do their feet and that will read this book more than any other thing in their life. Go with me. So tonight I'd like to go on, but I'll quit so that the one people will not kill me. So Abraham, you know, he meets two kings on the way back. And I'll tell you about this next week. You don't want to miss next week. You're going to learn something that you've asked questions about all your life because it is a difficult thing. And I'll talk about it next week. He met two kings. He met the king of Burah. 
Sodom is burning, and then he meets the king of Melchizedek, the king of Salem, which means peace. Jerusalem, Salem. Tonight, like I said last week, you still got two choices. Heaven over hell or heaven over earth. If you choose heaven over hell, that means you're saved and you can go to heaven. That is if you're really saved. You may not really be saved. You may have just moved and you may have just joined the church. You may be part, but you're not really saved. But those that are really saved, you'll know it because God, you will see God change your life if you're really saved. But then you get down the road and you get out of the will of God. What you've done is you've chosen earth over heaven. But for those people who are lost, they get deciding, do I want my life to change or not? If you choose not to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior who died for your cross on sin, your sins on the cross, and was raised again the third day to prove he could give us everlasting life, you could be saved tonight. Because then you choose heaven over hell.